0: People don't live godly lives because some guy got up and gave a pep talk about the fact that they ought to live godly lives. People don't live godly lives because somebody got up and told them there are lots of negative consequences and you might not be successful if you don't behave this way. People are motivated to live godly lives primarily from their view of God.
1: Welcome to Grace To You with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. If friends told you they were looking for a church, what would you tell them to prioritize, and what would you tell them to look out for? What does a healthy church even look like? Well, John MacArthur helps you sort out that critical question today in the study he's launching here on Grace To You, titled, What to Look For in a Church. John, I have two questions as you start this series. First, What motivated you to teach these sermons in the first place? And second, why is this such a relevant subject for Christians today, many of whom already attend a local church?
0: Well, just on the general side of answering both of those questions, you know very well, Phil, that probably the most consistent request we get from people writing and calling the ministry is... Can you recommend a church? Right. That is the most
1: common request mm -hmm, we get. Yeah.
0: And it isn't that there aren't churches. There are churches, just in the general sense. And it isn't that people aren't attending a church. It is the fact that those churches that they're going to fall short of what they expect and what they feel is right and what they feel is necessary for their own spiritual development. And uh, that becomes a very urgent thing. It's it's one thing to to hear the Scripture say, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is much more as you see the day approaching and stimulate one another to love and good works. But that doesn't happen in a lot of churches. You, you're, there's not a stimulation to love and good works. Uh, uh, this is what is frustrating. I you know, I think it back many years ago when I was just a young guy, there was a certain sameness in the churches before the pragmatic movement came, before the charismatic movement came, and churches were similar, we sang similar hymns. Churches conducted life in a similar way, and now there are such a there is such a massive range of what churches can be that um, it's rare to find one that is faithful to the Word of God, that is faithful to the standards the Word of God established for a church. And uh, that's why this study is so very important. It's called What to Look for in a Church. I originally preached these messages during chapel services at the Masters University for the very purpose of helping the kids understand what the criteria should be. And it's a series every young person needs to hear, but not just for young people. Whatever time of life you're in and however long you've been in your church, it's good to be reminded of what God expects the local church to be like. This study is going to answer following questions. What is the purpose of the local church? How is it to function? What beliefs should a church refuse to waver on? And is the Bible's blueprint for the church as relevant today as when it was written? I think you're going to find the series affirming. I hope that's the case. I hope it's affirming of the church you're in. Or it may help you identify a weak spot that needs improvement. And maybe you can be a part of that improvement, or maybe it's time for you to find a place that's more faithful. Vital teaching right from the campus of the Masters University. That's right, friend.
1: This teaching is vital. You might not have ever understood just how important the local church is to your growth in Christ and to your ability to glorify God to the fullest. So let's dive into this series. Here is John MacArthur to show you what to look
0: for in a church. Those of you who know me know that I am... uh, addicted to the church. I am a fanatic for the church. I love the church. It is my life and breath, it is the source of my highest joy and my most overwhelming anguish. It is on my mind all the time. I uh, sort of live in the aura of the church, all that it is and all that it calls for and requires and provides. It's a real adventure to be a pastor. I could not be a president and uh, I could deal with that. I could not be a radio preacher or an author, that would be all right. But if I were not a pastor, that would be the greatest loss of my entire life. The highlight of my life has been a stint at Grace Community Church. The church has never ceased to to be an adventure, really an amazing adventure. The earliest years of life in the church were, were almost euphoric. The church was growing very rapidly, people were loving the Word of God, dynamic conversions taking place, and far more than anybody ever expected. We were uh, we were learning as we went. I didn't know a whole lot. I was discovering something during the week, preaching it on Sunday and implementing it the next week in the church. So we were all on this big adventure trying to find out what the church really was, trying to sort out theology, interpret the Bible, figure out how to apply it, and uh, it was just one incredible adventure. But always from the beginning, the goal was to to develop the church in such a way as to make it what the Lord of the church wanted it to be, to look at the Word of God and try to discern there what revelation in the New Testament tells us about the church and what God's plans and purposes and expectations for the church are, and then figure out how to implement that and to bring about the perfect will of God in the church through totally imperfect people. Therein lies the great challenge. And they all know that I am equally imperfect and that even makes the challenge greater. But it has been an immense adventure. And when I speak about the church, I'm not speaking about something sort of off the top of my head or off the cuff or something I hope might be true. But when I talk about the church, I'm I'm talking about that to which I've given most attention throughout my entire life. And I believe that one can understand what the Bible says about the church. I don't think that that's intended to be ambiguous. I don't think the Lord said, now go out and build the church and it's it's all going to be a riddle and see if you can figure the riddle out. I think it's patently obvious what the church is to be. And so once you discern that in the Scripture, you can move to implementing that in the lives of people. And that's what we've been trying to do for all these many years and God has allowed us to to raise up a seminary where we can train men to do the same thing and to have influence around the world with uh, pastors and teachers and leaders uh, who want the same thing. And this has been the great joy of my of my life. And while some people might assume that the church is somewhat complex, I, I'm convinced that what really makes the church effective is pretty simple and that's what I want to share with you. I'm going to unfold some of them. and. There're going to be things that I don't think will surprise you. In fact, there may be a certain amount of indifference as you hear me say them. And I understand that because I've learned something being around for a number of generations in the church. I uh, I was there when uh, I was in my 20s, so I was there when the young people really were the heart and soul of the church and and now it's those people who've matured and become the elders in the church who give leadership to the church. I've seen their children. I've seen their grandchildren. I've watched the processes of generations in one single place. And I have found that, with some exceptions, it's generally true that the first generation fights for the discovery and establishment of the truth. There's a real Exhilaration, there's a real passion in that first generation, new Christians, people just awakening to the realities of divine truth. There's a passion to learn it, to know it, and defend it, and fight for it. The second generation tends to sort of try to maintain it, and maybe even extend it. For the first 10, 15 years of Grace Church, maybe even... Heading toward twenty years, we were really working hard to crystallize and clarify doctrine. That's why the church has such an extensive doctrinal statement which is also the doctrinal statement of the college seminary. We worked uh, as a staff at writing papers on all kinds of theological issues. We'd have a staff meeting and I'd assign guys to write papers on various theological things that we needed to hammer out and discuss. And we called them position papers and we still developed those kinds of things. But that first generation was primarily committed to the development of, of the truth, to understanding the truth, to systematizing the truth fairly uh, consistently with Scripture, not imposing it upon Scripture. Establishing the truth, discovering it, refining it, and establishing it. And now we're in the second generation and what we're seeing now is this desire to maintain the truth, to guard the truth, to secondly extend the truth. There came, uh, I suppose, about year 20 at Grace Church, this desire to take the truth to the ends of the earth to get books translated into every imaginable language. I was talking to one of our guys who graduated from seminary who's just back from uh, uh, Croatia where they've planted a training center in Croatia to take the truth to that part of the world. We've got this uh, sort of spiritual young man mentality you find in First John where he talks about the young men who uh, are valiant for the truth. They they know the truth and they want to fight for the truth and they overcome the evil one who is a liar and the father of lies and tries to, of course, destroy the truth. And so I look at that and I think that that's probably generationally speaking where, where our church life is. We, We are passionate about guarding the truth. We are passionate about extending the truth. In fact, one of the guys who was at the Shepherd's Conference, never been there before, is from down in Texas, and he said to one of our elders at the end of the conference, he said, I get it, I get it. I know what this church is all about. It's all about proclaiming and protecting. Is that right? And our elder said, yeah, you got it. It's all about proclaiming and protecting. There's a passion at that and i think that's a wonderful place to be to know the truth to have established the truth affirmed the truth understood the truth and now to be passionately committed to maintaining the truth and extending the truth but there's a third phase and historically this is this is kind of the way it flows the third generation is apathetic the third generation is apathetic they weren't a part of the process of discovery they weren't a part of the process of refinement so they don't understand the pain and the endurance and the relentlessness that you went through to get there. And they they really weren't because they weren't there fighting to understand that truth they weren't there fighting to defend that truth they just kind of show up at some time and obviously we have people flowing into grace church we have people flowing into the college even now people flowing into the seminary who uh, who never were in the battle to define the truth who never were in the battle to defend the truth who uh, who just show up when all the work is done and and that the, the the attitude that tends to be there is an attitude of apathy and that's really sad. You see people who go to church today, only if it's convenient, they're really not energized by the discovery of the truth, they're not particularly energized by refining the truth, they're, they're not very interested in uh, protecting the truth and proclaiming the truth and extending the truth. They, they come whenever they can, they show up whenever they want. You take the preaching of the Word of God for granted, you take the truth for granted because you weren't a part of the process, therefore it has no value to you. You're like a rich kid who has all the money to buy things but doesn't understand the value of anything because no sacrifice was necessary for you to acquire it. And that's when church life gets tough. That's when people are worried about whether the air conditioner is blowing on the back of their neck or not, or whether they can find a parking place or whether the service time interrupts the plans for the day, or whether the sermon's too long, or the pew's not comfortable. And they become absorbed in all that stuff and I've read enough about church uh, history and even contemporary and more modern church history, to know that there's a time in the life of the church when that becomes the dominant characteristic of the church because that third generation weren't a part of the struggle and that is a frightening thing. Maybe I'll die before I have to deal with too much of that. But somebody in the future will have to deal with it. I get a lot of letters, I I got a...I think about a 24-page letter the other day. That's a daunting thing, you know. You're so busy. You get a 24-page letter and you say, really, do I need to read this? Usually it's from some kooky person who, who, um, you know, writes with no space and then writes up the side and across the top and down the side and on the back and on the envelope, you know. But this was from a lady. It's absolutely, it may be the most incredible letter I've ever received. And I read all 20-some pages of it. And I was so moved by it that I had it typed up to keep as a keepsake. This woman went through this incredible process of coming to understand the gospel. She was from Germany, she came to America and uh, life was horrific. She's a, a writer and a journalist. She uh, tried to find truth, she went through cults, she became a, a God-hater and a Christ-hater and she goes writing through all of this and she's a good writer. And and. Uh, As the years go by, she's becoming more and more desperate. As a little kid, her mother was involved with the occult. Her father was into demonology. She couldn't sleep at night for fear that she was going to be killed by demons and she had all these incredible fears. Uh, She was abused as a child and the story goes on and on. Well, to make a long story short, she turns on the radio, she listens to Grace To You, and. It's a series on the Lordship of Christ. She hears the message. She writes for the book. First book she reads is The Lordship of Christ and she and her husband read it out loud verbatim. It's a pretty uh, heavy introduction into Christianity. She decided she wasn't sure the New Testament documents were actually accurate so she needed to know about that so she went and got F.F. Bruce's book on New Testament documents and read that. She came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ was who He claimed to be, the New Testament was what it claimed to be, and uh, riding along in a car uh, reading again the gospel of Jesus Christ with her husband, she was converted to Christ. And then she goes on for about five pages to describe in the most clear way this absolutely insatiable thirst to know the truth. And she says she weeps to know the truth, she falls on her face before God to know the truth, she falls on her knees before Christ and pleads that He would show her the truth. Uh, Whatever it is that she comes to understand in the Word of God, uh, she believes implicitly without question. And she is demonstrating the real work of God in a transformed heart. You know, one could wish to have a church full of people like that who can never get enough of the truth, who just hang on every element of the truth because it is food like no other, because it is so soul-satisfying. And if it isn't soul-satisfying for you, then somehow you've developed bad spiritual eating habits, right? How, how can we, um, how can we move ourselves away from these dangerous places of apathy that so easily creep into our lives. And many of you fit into that sort of third generation category. You come from a Christian home, you come from parents who came from Christian parents, your grandparents maybe know the Lord, you've been raised in the church, you didn't fight for the truth, you just kind of got handed the truth. How do you, how do you fight against the tendency to be apathetic about that? How do you avoid the danger of spiritual privilege? Michael Griffiths, the British writer, said, Christians collectively seem to be suffering from a strange amnesia. A high proportion of people who go to church have forgotten what it's all about. Week by week they attend services in a special building. They go through their particular time-honored routine. They give little thought to the purpose of what they're doing. The Bible talks about the bride of Christ but the church today seems like a ragged Cinderella hideous among the ashes, pretty graphic. And the ragged Cinderella has lost its beauty because it's failed to understand priorities in spiritual life in the church. If we're going to recover the passion, if we're going to recover the zeal for The truth, we've got to focus ourselves on the right things. And let me say this as simply as I can say it, you have to focus yourself away from yourself. Building a church around felt needs is utterly contrary to Scripture. Focusing on you and your problems and your dilemmas and your circumstances and your situations is counterproductive. And while it may intend to help you, the unintended consequence becomes you are the one being worshiped. This is a problem. You are the center of attention. You are the center of focus. And then the unintended consequence is when you feel like uh, you don't have any particular needs or they're not doing a very good job of meeting those needs, you don't need the church. If they fail to deliver what you think you need, you check out. So we need to get back to what the really, the really important matters of the church are. As the hymn writer said, you want to go to church to get lost in wonder, love and praise. You want to go to church to forget about yourself to set yourself aside and to lose yourself in the glory and wonder of God. A God-centered preacher, a God-centered teacher, a God-centered worship is what you want in a church. When you look for a church, that's what you want. You want those who are consistently being brought before God, who are being brought into the very throne room of heaven to see His glory and His majesty and the wonder of who He is and, and His righteousness and His holiness. It's really sad when people don't understand the full glory of God because if you, if you don't, if you don't understand the depth of the being of God, you can't rise to the heights of praise. And that's what dramatically alters life. Now, how do you pick a church? Look, you're in, you come from a church. I know that. You all come from some church. You go to a church. The rest of your life you're going to be involved in a church. Church's going to be a center of your life. It's going to be you know, some of you are even actually going to get married and have children. You're going to raise them in a church. The church scene is frankly frightening. In the letters that we get at Grace to You every, well, every week, I would say that the commonest complaint that we receive is from people who cannot find a church where they feel the truth of God is honored and ministry is done in a biblical way. This is no small frustration. It's not that there aren't many many churches, there are lots of churches. It's trying to discern what is a good church, what is a, a right church. And I want to help you with that. I want to talk about what a church should be. Now, when I talk about this, you know you're getting down to the core of where I live because as a pastor, I have a great love for the church. I've always loved the church. Even as a kid growing up, I loved the church. Jesus said, I will build My church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It's the only institution Jesus ever promised to build, the only one that He is building and so we have to be committed to the church. But obviously not all churches are committed to what they should be. So let me give you some principles, okay? What you want to look for in a church, not just now but certainly now and for the rest of your life. These are not unrealistic expectations. Uh, These are not methods, nothing to do with that. These are not. Formats. These have nothing to do with style. You can. I've been all over the world. I've been in church from the high mountains of the Andes um, in South America to uh, church house church in China to churches in the Middle East to churches in Europe to churches in South Africa. I've been all over the world. Everywhere I've gone, I've been in churches. And I've seen every imaginable kind of style of church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about substance. Don't look at style, it's seductive. It's at best, style can only appeal to the flesh. Substance is what you're after. And the first thing you look for in a church is a high view of God, a high view of God. This uh, one could spend his entire life discussing, a high view of God. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everything starts with fearing God. That's the beginning of everything. And that's, that's crystal clear in Scripture. The holiness of God is the first and central element in the church the glory of God, the exaltation of God, if you do not have a lofty enough understanding of God that is rehearsed and repeated and lifted up before you all the time, and I'm not talking about in songs and choruses, I'm talking about a substantial theological, biblical grasp on God, then you do not have in place the greatest motivation to godly living. People don't live godly lives because some guy got up and gave a pep talk about the fact that they ought to live godly lives. People don't live godly lives because somebody got up and told them there are lots of negative consequences and you might not be successful if you do if you don't behave this way. People are motivated to live godly lives primarily from their view of God. And when you get people together who understand the deep things of God and they begin to sing and to praise God. They're lost in wonder, love, and praise, not so much over the musical form as over the gripping profundity of the Scripture and theology set to music. Shallow worship is the byproduct of shallow theology. Elevated, glorious, transcendent, captivating, emotional, enriching worship is the byproduct of a deep understanding of truth.
1: John MacArthur there speaking at a chapel service on the campus of the Masters University where John serves as chancellor. He was addressing more than a thousand students on what your priorities should be when you're choosing a church. Today's message was the first in his series here on Grace to You called What to Look For in a Church. Now, keep in mind, you can download this study for free. It's great help if you're looking for a local fellowship or if you know someone who is. The title again, What to Look For in a Church. Download it or get the CDs when you contact us today. Call 800-55-GRACE or go to gty.org. In addition to the messages from What to Look For in a Church, you can download any of John's 3,500 total sermons, which includes hundreds of messages that have never aired on the radio. The MP3s and the transcripts of John's entire sermon archive are available free of charge at gty.org. Also, let me remind you about the type of ministry you take part in when you support Grace To You financially. We recently got a letter from Christy who stumbled upon John's teaching during the COVID pandemic and it not only encouraged her but helped her truly understand God's Word for the first time. Now she's confident that she is sharing the Gospel accurately with those around her and friend, that is the power of God's Word, strengthening people like Christy in your community and beyond. We're able to take biblical truth to believers near and far because friends like you give. To make a donation, call 800-55-GRACE or go to gty.org. Now for John MacArthur, I'm Phil Johnson, inviting you to be here tomorrow when John continues to show you what to look for in a church. It's another 30 minutes of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Tuesday's Grace to You.